This morning, we are in Exodus chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first part of Exodus chapter 2, and uh, looking at the, the life of how God blesses us. I've entitled this God's Blessing, and God's blessing for his people, God's blessing for his name, and God's blessing Excuse me, God's blessing for his people, God's blessing for his family, and God's blessing for his name. Exodus chapter 1. So often in our life, our greatest blessings come through walking through a season of suffering. Our greatest blessings come through a season of suffering. Many of you have dealt with physical challenges, financial challenges, spiritual challenges, even family challenges or familial challenges is how I wrote that. During those challenges, it is hard to see anything but the pain, sorrow, and difficulties. But today, as we observe the blessing of God on this little family in Egyptian bondage, we will come to a greater understanding of how God blesses his people, blesses his families, and blesses for his name's sake. Look there in Exodus chapter 1, in verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it in the portions in which I have it broken down. Uh, so there, if you read along in your copy of God's Word, it will be on the screen. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I've entitled this, God's Blessing in Good Times. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Sibion, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. As we look at this, this is God's blessing in the good times. You remember Joseph was there. Joseph was able to save basically that whole region through God's blessing of his life. In, in the midst of a famine, he was able to to observe the visions and through God's power tell him what's going on to be able to uh, sustain life for that region for many years. And so God blessed him in that and God blessed his family through that. And we see that all by the testimony of what I just read in verses 1 through 7. God blesses in the good times. These 12 brothers that are listed here right at the first in verses uh, 2 and 3 uh, and into four with Joseph, these 12 brothers would eventually be known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And their families were honored under Pharaoh and multiplied by God's blessing. God blessed his family by multiplying them in the good times so they may have a marker to look back on when the enemies of the Lord began to build. And that's what God does at times. You may think, oh, we're, we're doing great. Man, it's just, we're right at the peak. And God's saying, I'm trying to prepare you. I want to bless you to understand how good I am to you because you need a marker to look back on. You know, many a times they'd say like the Ebenezer stone was set there so that they'd have a marker to look back on God's goodness and faithfulness. And this is what God's doing. God is blessing in good times. The children of Israel, they were fruitful. It says there in that verse, it says that they uh, increased, they were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. I don't know any other way to explain how, I mean, the Bible gives you such, such a descriptive, overwhelming number of Hebrews there in Egypt. It's like ants is basically how they were saying it. They, they were like ants. You kick an ant mound and you just, you're like, this blows my mind. There's this many ants in that ant mound, especially if you're cutting grass. And there's that many Hebrews. 
Okay, the children of Israel were fruitful. And by the time of the Exodus, Exodus, there were more than 600,000 men who were 20 years and older. And when you add the women and children, the total could well be near 2 million people, all of whom descended from the original family of Jacob. God kept his promise. God's blessing is for in the good times. God blesses in the good times. But you know what? God also continues to bless despite hardship and bondage. Look there in verses 8 through 14. Like I said, I'm going to move through this chapter. Verses 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel, the Egyptians were. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, that's hardship, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor, which means hardship. So we'll stop there, verse 14. The new king of Egypt feared the potential of the Hebrews as they grew, they multiplied. It said they filled the land. Uh, I watch a, a, a program called Drain the Oceans. And, and, and one of the things they talked about, they go into Egypt and they, they remove uh, sand as much as they moved oceans. And they show where all these cities were built. They show where this one city was built right on the bay. And it was a massive city, beautiful city. And they talked about how it potentially fell in. And I want you to, I want you to understand, so much of Egypt was built by the Hebrews. It was built by those that had been enslaved. You hear the numbers there. Uh, possibly up to 2 million people enslaved. Can you even fathom that for a moment? 2 million people enslaved working for you? And that's in a variety of different ways, but you got over 600,000 men, 20 and older, that are able to build and work and move these big stones and build pyramids and cities and all this kind of stuff. They were under hardship, and, and the word rigor is used, which means a, a, an extreme form of hardship that they uh, oppressed them with. But the Lord still blessed them despite this hardship and bondage. It said they multiplied even though they were being uh, uh, tasked with this hardship in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. They were still having children like crazy. God said go forth and multiply. They didn't take that as a, as a, as an, as a I think you should. They took that as we got to. You know what I mean? So they went out and had a bunch of kids. And they talk about that here, here, here in a little bit. So the Egyptians set these taskmasters to, to deal shrewdly. That is, I have struggled with that word all week, trying to say it. Taskmasters. Uh, to deal shrewdly with the Hebrews and afflict them. And clearly we read here that the Hebrews, because of their vast numbers, built entire cities for the Egyptians. Uh, the Egyptians made the Hebrews work with rigor, which means strictness or hardship. So their labor was not pleasant labor. You know, we all, many of us, just about all of us, are either working currently or have retired from a job. And we know what it's like to work a job. Some of you, hopefully, enjoyed the job that you worked or are currently working. Some of you work a job just because you've got to pay a bill. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, sometimes that's what happens, you know. 
I'll deal with this job for the moment because I'm looking for something that's more of, that I enjoy, that maybe fits my passions or whatever it may be. But these guys, they didn't even have that option. You know, they're just a slave. Build this, build that, pick, uh, glean this field, whatever it may be. They had to do it or probably they're going to be severely punished or killed. So they had to get after it. There was no, there was no, I'm going to call in the union. You know, there was none of this for the Egyptians. And so they were hard at it, but yet God and them, they were still finding the time to multiply and have more and more Hebrews, okay? Um, anyway, I'm not going to, uh, let me keep moving. But even in that, the, the Hebrews were still growing. And suffering, listen, suffering tends to reveal who or what our God is. It tends to reveal that because when we're suffering and we're going through hardship, we're crying out to somebody or something, aren't we? We're going to cry out to somebody or something. Uh, and, and so uh, the Hebrews, they're, they're, uh, they're praying and asking God for deliverance. Asking God for deliverance. But yet for the time being, there is not one yet. Not yet, but God is, God is preparing them for that. And we'll see that here in just a moment. God's blessing comes through the fear of God. Look at verses 15 through 20, 22. God's blessing comes through the fear of God. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shiphrah and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, God's blessing, God's blessing comes through the fear of God. God's blessing comes through the fear of God. The, the Hebrews had midwives that were Egyptian that helped in the childbirthing process. And two important midwives that are named are Shifra and Pua. And uh, they, they're, they're talking to the king. And Dali, she they might be heads. I don't know how this works, but they might be like the, the chief operating officer of all midwives. I don't really know how that works. Or they might be the RNs, if you will, of the midwives. And, and they get to, to dictate how things happen. And they're saying, listen, we ain't messing with them. I don't know if you've heard about what their God's done. Do you remember how their God worked through Joseph to, to save our nation? You know, we owe them a little bit, you know. Uh, we need to fear their God. I don't know exactly the conversations they have. We could, we could really go a lot of different places with it. But nonetheless, the scripture clearly says the midwives feared God in verse 17 and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. The king questioned them in their practice and the midwives used excuses for their choice of giving life to the babies instead of taking them. Now, I'm going to read something to you here, okay? Today in California, they have a bill that is eerily similar to the Egyptian king's request of murder of babies, even beyond the womb. Even beyond the womb. Just like these midwives have been asked to do. It's called the California Assembly Bill 2223. 
I, I got this information off the American Center for Law and Justice. It's uh, Jay Sekulow is the head of that. And uh, he, he, they, they're... Uh, their defense team has worked through this bill. And I want to read a little bit to you so you can understand. This mindset of murder is not nothing new. This mindset of cutting back on life is nothing new. So don't think when you hear about this Maryland law over here or this California law over here, man, that's new. I can't believe people do that. Oh, the Egyptians did it. China's done it for years. Did you know that China's population has been in such a decline now that they're trying to get their families to have three kids now? Did you know that? Because for so long, they would only let them have one child and that child be a, a girl. And if it was a male, they had to kill it. Listen, this, this, this idea of infanticide has been going on for a long time and it's still going on. And I ain't talking about abortion alone. I'm talking about infanticide. The baby is born. And for seven days afterwards... A mother can choose to not let that child live. I'm telling you, we're in a place where Molech, the God of Molech, is ruling. It's, it's demonic. It's demonic. Let me read some of this to you. I, I know this is Mother's Day, but, but this scripture lent to it, and I was like, Lord, I'm giving it to you. It says here, it says, Notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights under this article, based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death due to a pregnancy-related cause. After our, this is the ACLJ, American Center for Law and Justice, after our thorough legal review of this amended bill, which just passed another committee vote, we have concluded that the amendments do not resolve the original issues with the bill. And it, and it, still could, can, could allow for infanticide in a number of ways, okay? The first bill, as written and amended, states, notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy outcomes. The term pregnancy outcome has a specific meaning and is used in reference to both pre-born children and newborns. A pregnancy outcome includes full-term birth, premature birth, spontaneous miscarriage, and abortion. And under each of these categories are subcategories that include vaginal or cesarean birth, the birth of a healthy or sick baby, stillbirth, or the birth of a child with congenital anomaly or birth defects. Thus, under the bill, a person could not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty if they withheld or omitted care from either a full-term or premature infant born alive who subsequently dies due to lack of care. They're saying they will not be charged with criminal activity if that baby is born uh, with life outside the womb if they choose not to have care. They will not be held liable and they will not, be, they will not go to jail. Listen, this, this idea of killing babies after they come out of the womb is, is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's atrocious and it's something that every Christian, every single church should stand against. God is the God of life. Satan is the God of death. Now listen, some people, and I, I, don't, I don't want to jump on this too hard right now because I want to honor our mothers, but I want you to understand this. Some people are forced to have abortions. Okay? That might sound crazy, but you've got... You've got parents who think their reputation is more important than a child's life. 
And it happens. And young, young people, listen, I grew up in high school. I know, I've seen young ladies that have become pregnant and they weren't anymore. You wonder what happened and they didn't have a child. And listen, it, it, it happens. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. This happens in various homes. So you can't just point the finger and say, oh, those people aren't believers. It's, it's, it's discouraging. It's discouraging and it's sad. Every life has value. And, and in, this, in this situation here, the Egyptians knew the value of those male lives. They did. That's the reason why they wanted them dead. Because if those males were born, then there could be more Hebrews. There would be more followers of the God of Israel. And it puts a threat on our lives. Used to be the big argument about abortion was, oh, it's overpopulation. Nonsense. Nonsense. There's plenty of unpopulated places all across the United States, all across this world. That's nonsense. That was a cop-out. Listen, it's all out of... Anyway, I'm not, I don't want to stay there too long, but I want you to understand this, is, this work here that the Egyptian king was getting these midwives to do was totally against the will of God. God is a God of life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Now, we understand that spiritual life. We understand that. But you let Satan get a hold of your life, and he's going to kill you physically and spiritually. But you let Christ get a hold of your life, and he's going to renew your desire for life here, and he's going to give you a spiritual life that has no end. Even with this decree of the king of Egypt, God still prospered his people numerically. Does that not blow your mind? He has commanded, this king of Egypt has commanded them to kill these children when they come out. But yet God says, you know what? You can try all you want to, world. You can try all you want to, culture. You can try all you want to, but you know what? I'm more powerful than you. And by so, God put the fear of God in those midwives. And those midwives lied to the king of Egypt, who at the time was probably considered the most powerful man on earth. The sun and the moon and all those things, you know. He, he refers to himself. Listen, that's bold. But when you know that what you stand for is right, you'll be bold in the midst of uh, opposition and hardship. And those midwives were. So we need to be, and it says that God provided households for them. When we fear the Lord, and we truly, I think we're a nation that has lost the fear of God. And I think that's the reason why so many things are as they are. We have lost a fear of God. All we see is God is love, and God is love, and God is love. God is love. God's got grace. He's got mercy. But God's a God of wrath. And God's a God that, that he will not withhold from those who stand in opposition against him. The scripture tells us that he will defend those that are his. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute as well. He takes care of those that are his. So what do we take from chapter 1? All of chapter 1. Well, from this portion of the text, we must understand that everyone who follows after God, whether it was those in the Old Testament or those in the New Testament or those of us living as the New Testament church, we will deal with persecution. We will deal with persecution. But what we must remember and hold to the same thought as Paul from Romans 5, 2 through 5. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says this, By whom also, which is Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And rejoice in hope and glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. 
knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Listen, we will go through persecution. We will go through tribulation, especially if you have enough uh, faith to stand on what God says and we, and we stand strong in the Word of God. We will face persecution. In this world, I mean, all you've got to do is look on the news and see the attacks that are coming. It's coming. It's close. But when we stand strong and we deal with these persecutions, they will produce perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. So ultimately, in our tribulations, hope should be produced as we work through it with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we can see how this was enacted by the Hebrews. Right here, even in chapter 1 of Exodus, they enacted this faith and lived by faith and dealt with tribulations and they persevered and from their perseverance character was built and from character they had hope that they were going to have a deliverer they have hope that their deliverer was going to come so the blessing for us today in our new testament church and lives it lives in the gifting of the holy spirit through which our blessings are distributed and given and we use the gifting of the holy spirit and the fear of the Lord to bring blessings, such as life, to as many possible. And we also defend the defenseless. We defend the defenseless. Look at point number two, chapter two, verses one and two. But overall, for this part here, I've entitled it God's blessing for his families. Chapter two, verses one, and the first part of verse two, it says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And we'll stop right there for just a moment. So she conceived and bore a son. If you flip over to Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, the scripture tells us, let me look here, it says, Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. And then... You don't have to flip over there if you don't if, if you can't get there quick enough. But Numbers 26, Numbers 26, verse 59, it tells us this also. It says, The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. So we, we find out what their names are. Here in Exodus chapter 2. He's just kind of brief, and, he's, and, uh, and Moses is right, and I guess to get to his own story. <laughs> so he leaves out mom's, mom and daddy's name. But he says, a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a son. So we have this account here of Amram and Jochebed. And thankfully, they named him a little bit easier name. Of course, they didn't name Moses, did they? They didn't name Moses, did they? Pharaoh's daughter named, named Moses. But uh, Amram and Jochebed, I'd, I'd be curious to know what they would have named him, huh? It'd have been interesting. But that's not what they named him. But God's blessing on verses 1 and 2a, uh, without going too far into that, uh, God's blessing on Amram and Jochebed uh, is, is what I've entitled this. Now, this text does not even list their names, and I've read that from Exodus 6.20 and Numbers 26.59. It also mentions that he has a brother, which is Aaron, and a sister who is Miriam. Miriam is the eldest. She's the oldest. 
And then Aaron is three years older than Moses. So now, because uh, I always was curious about that and uh, in, in, in what their age delineations were, but the scripture tells us that uh, in, as you read through there. And uh, during a time when the king of Egypt was trying to kill children, Amram and Jochebed still obeyed the Lord and his command to go and multiply. The birth and subsequent care for their baby was a dangerous undertaking. Okay, we got to understand they were not supposed to be multiplying. They were not supposed to be having children. But yet here's Amram and Jochebed and they're like, we're going to be faithful to what God has told us to do. We're going to be faithful to, to what God has commanded us to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth. And why is it that uh, the Tower of Babel was such a big problem? It's because they disobeyed God's command to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth. They said, we're going to stop right here. We're going to build this tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God said, it ain't about you making a name for you. It's about you making a name for me. And the reason why I'm going to disperse you and change your languages is because You've got it all wrong. If you would have said, we're going to slow down for a moment and build this to bring glory to God, and then we're going to move on, I don't think God would have done what he did. But that's not what they did. And history is history. You can't change it. They did what they did. So God said, he went down there, which he knew what they were doing anyway, but the Bible gives us this type of language so we can understand the frustration, right? Don't make me come down there, right? You've said that as a parent. So the Bible tells us that God went down there. I think that's kind of like letting you know, you're about to be in trouble. So God came down there and was getting on to them because they did not keep the commandment of go forth and multiply. Amram and Jochebed, you know, they said, we don't care about the hardships. We don't care about these things. We're going to honor God with our bodies and in our marriage, and we're going to continue to do what God's told us to do. And so they did. And we're grateful for that. So God's blessing was on Amram and Jochebed. You see that in verses 1 and 2a. You look there in verse, the latter part of verse 2 into verse 4, you see God's blessing, a strategic care for their son. Look at verse, and I didn't say Moses because they ain't named him yet. So there, at least it's not recorded that they named him. The latter part of verse 2 to verse 4, it says, And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with as, uh, asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Jochebed knew the perils of hiding a baby were about to get more difficult than ever as soon as the baby would begin crawling and moving about. We all know you gonna, people are going to know you got a baby when, when they start getting about that age. They're going to start moving about. They're grabbing stuff. They're, they're crawling about, and, and eventually, they're going to be walking. And so, Jochebed and Amram's like, you know, I don't know how, I don't even know how they made that work, having to go out in the fields, and they're building, or, or she's gathered from the fields, and, and he's uh, helping build this city. I mean, it could be that she was able to tuck, her, tuck the baby away in a papoose of some fashion, and, and the, the taskmasters couldn't see the baby when they were out in the field, but yet at three months, the baby's getting pretty big, so you've got to start making a decision on what you're going to do. So they were like, we, don't, we love our child. We want to do what God's called us to do. They're, they're making tough decisions. And here Jochebed is, is, is thinking about, and I fully believe that she was praying about, although it's not recorded here, about what she should do. What am I going to do with my child? What am I going to do with my child? So Jochebed, undoubtedly led by God, chose what she thought was the best resort in caring for her baby. 
as though who did not live too far from the king's palace in the river, she chose to create an ark for her son. You look there in verse 3. She created an ark for her son. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him and daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now, let me stop right here for a minute. The scripture uses the word ark. And we know, most of the time when you hear that word, who do we think of? Noah. We think of Noah, right? Noah, and think about this, God told Noah to build an ark for the salvation of his people and his lineage and glory, didn't he? And Noah built it. Even in the midst of mockery, in the midst of, of hostility against him and his family, he still built the ark. And then those floods came, and the floods came from, from above and below. And it lifted that ark up, and all that rain beat against the ark, and it beat against the ark. But what did God do? God preserved them in the ark, didn't he? He preserved them, and he brought them to where they needed to be so that God's name, God's people, remember we're talking about God's blessing of his family. And he brings the, the ark to rest on the mountain there, and the people were able to get out freely. Here, God led Jochebed to build an ark for the salvation of his people through Moses' salvation in the care of the Pharaoh's daughter. Jochebed built it. She is obedient to how God wanted her to do. Again, this ark was the protective vessel to carry Moses and ultimately God's people to safety, right? Those waters beat against that ark, but yet Miriam was down there watching as it went down. I can only imagine her kind of slipping through the reeds and watching. She's like, oh goodness, it's getting down near the palace. What's going to happen here? And Pharaoh's daughter, I'm about to get to that, but she, she's watching as the ark goes down through there. And God took care of Moses. By the Pharaoh's daughter's care. God sent his son to be the ark for salvation. For any and all who may call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus came. Jesus came. And this time Jesus took on all the sin and shame of mankind. The beating and battering of our Lord. He took on himself in and through him. We see that. And we are saved from eternal separation. Hell. And delivered to our rightful destination through Christ. Which is heaven. When we. Call upon him. He is our ark. He is the one who will carry us through this life. In him, uh, in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away and all things have become new. In him, we are sealed through the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. We are taken care of by God. He is our ark. And he sees us through all the beatings and the batterings of life. But he will deliver us. It is in his power. And he will deliver us by his strength into our eternal home of heaven. He is our ark. And God placed the idea into the mind of Miriam to watch the child to make sure he was not in danger. That's pretty awesome that, that uh, you'd have a caring sister like that, right? Isn't it great to have good siblings? If you didn't have a good sibling, I apologize. I had a good brother. I'm thankful for him. But you know, we can. there's a lot of roles. Some, sometimes siblings have to step into roles that... that they're not expected to step into. And Miriam stepped into that position to keep her eye on her younger brother and care for him and watch him. And thankfully, and as we know, God had a way to take care of baby Moses. God's blessing through a compassionate heart. Look at verses 5 through 9 of chapter 2. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. 
and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, Miriam, you know, she goes running at the bull, bull rushes. She comes up and she says, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Remember, they have their children quickly, you know? Remember? So there, there's probably several. And they're multiplying way more than the Egyptians are. There's, there's a lot of them. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Man, that's pretty awesome when you think about it, right? So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. God's blessing through a compassionate heart. Pharaoh's daughter's heart was open to the plight of the Hebrew child. She could not bring herself to discard this human being, regardless of their culture, people, and differences. She said, I see this baby, and I hear this baby's crying, and I feel the need. And God allowed her to have compassion in her heart for that Hebrew child. Because God was going to save his people. She chose life for this young Hebrew child. Miriam, being in the right place at the right time, runs up and asks the daughter, Would you like for me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse and care for the child for you? Miriam knew the daughter of the king was not in that season for proper care of a child. So she used that to reunite mother and child. Miriam was a very observant sister. She's like, I think we can make this work. I think we can make this work. I mean, it would be, I'm sure she was just overjoyed uh, as, as that sister got to see her son be cared for and saved. I mean, have you ever seen a sibling saved before? Saved by the grace of God? How amazing would that be to be Miriam, to see Moses saved by the grace of God? Now, not only did God supply protection for Amram and Jochebed's son, God provided monetarily for them through Jochebed being paid to be mom. I mean, what, what, a, what a flip of the coin. Hey, not only do you get your child to live, you're going to get to be paid to care for your child until that season is over with. And I don't know if she ever had to go back in the field or not. There's not really much of an account of that. So she's able to just be a stay-at-home mom, one of the first stay-at-home moms in the midst of hardship and bondage. Isn't that amazing that God did that? That's amazing how God supplies. For many young women who have children, they may see no way out of a situation. They see no way out of a situation. Jochebed could have seen it that way. There's no way out. I mean, this child doesn't get too big. We tried to hide it. There's no way out. And they make Some of these young women, they'll make a hasty choice with long-lasting consequences. Let me encourage you. Life is worth the fight. Life is worth the fight. Observe the resiliency of Jochebed and see the faithfulness of God. He is the same God today as he was then. If you're a mother with older children, trust God and continue to put them into his hands, Christ's hands. Don't remove them from church and place them in every travel sport available. Travel to church together. That will last longer than any sports season. A true and healthy relationship with Jesus will last for eternity. If you're a mother of Teenage children, stay strong. 
Hang in there. Keep communicating with your teens, whether they seem to hear it or not. Whether they roll their eyes or try to ignore you, invest in them the Word of God. Pray over them. Place your hand on them and pray. Hug them. If you're a parent of adult children, continue to be their biggest supporter. Tell them you're proud of them. Don't tell them how to raise their kids, but love them. (laughs) I didn't hear any young parents say amen to that. Don't tell them how to raise their kids, but love them. Listen, be a trusted advisor that advises when asked. If you're a son or daughter, which each one of us is to some degree, honor your father and mother. This is commanded of you and me, to honor them. If you're sitting next to your mother this morning, reach over and give her a hug. I mean it. Reach over and give her a hug. Give her a hug, tell her you love her and appreciate her. Moms care far beyond what you see and know. They care far beyond what you see and know. If, if, if you're, I don't care. Get up and move around if you need to. It's okay. Love them. And if you're a husband and your wife sitting next to her, hug her too for being a good mom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you the opportunity to have a little PDA here in the sanctuary. <laughs> hug your wife. I mean, listen, God's blessed us with wonderful mothers and wives to care for our children. I feel like their care, is, their care for you is just below the Lord's care for you. A mom's care for you is just below the Lord's care for you. Let's look at the last point. God's blessing for His name. God's blessing for His name. God blesses His people through suffering for His name's sake. This is basically going to be just an overview of what we've already looked at as we, as we wrap this up. God blesses his people through suffering for his name's sake. Through suffering comes some of the greatest blessings. No one wants to suffer, do we? No one wants to suffer. I don't wish suffering on anyone, but the Lord has told us in his word that we will if we are living in his footsteps. Romans 8, 16-18 says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And it's God's blessing in our lives through our suffering. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Christ brings salvation for his people through suffering. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God blesses his families through protection for his name's sake. Let's just look at a, look at a few through the timeline of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they sinned. And the line could have stopped, right? God could have chosen to restart. But he loves his family. God loves his family. And he has provided a means for their redemption through preserving the line. He did that. Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother in jealousy. God could have stopped the line. But instead he marks Cain. and says anybody who kills Cain, the curse will fall upon them. God preserves the line. Mankind. Mankind has gotten so terrible and simple that God chose to send the flood. 
God could have chosen to have his wrath poured out on all, but he found a righteous man in Noah and preserved the line through Noah's obedience and his determining. God preserved the line. Joseph, his brothers, threw him down the well and then sold him. God could have poured out his wrath, but chose to preserve Joseph because of his attitude and faithfulness. You read through all of Joseph's account, and all of his thing is because of his attitude. Attitude means a lot, people. Attitude means a lot. And God chose to preserve Joseph by his attitude and faithfulness. God preserves the line. Look at the Exodus. Look at Rahab. Rahab, you go back and you read through Hebrews. You read the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. It came through Rahab. God preserved the line through Rahab because she, was, she said, I am going to take care of these, these uh, spies and I'm going to let them down through the wall. And because she let them down through the wall, they said, stay in your room. Do not come out. Don't let any of your family come out because if we come in, we're killing everybody. You stay in your room. Nobody's going to mess with you. And Rahab is a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. God preserves the line. I could go on and on. For his name's sake, God blesses his families. God blesses his families. Were these accounts all easy? Absolutely not. Rahab put her life in danger over keeping those spies safe. We look back to the Exodus. Moses leading them out. Man, he had the greatest army in the world on his tail. Running out of Egypt. Leaving Egypt. Was that easy for him to haul more than 2 million people out of a city and all their supplies and everything else? The Bible says that they were able to ransack the Egyptians basically before they even left. So they've got all kinds of stuff they're tote with them. And God says, I'm preserving the line. It wasn't easy, but God preserved them. God loves his family of the Old Testament. God loves his family of the New Testament. God loves us and God will preserve us. And it's not on our works. It's by his grace that he has saved us. Not of works, lest any of us should boast. It's the gift of God in Christ Jesus. So don't think you've got to work, work, work. Jesus has done the work, work, work. We've got to submit and surrender and call upon him as Lord. And when you do that, you will have your life preserved. And you will go on. And I don't know about your earthly body. We don't know when our time may come. But I'll tell you this. I know where my time will be and it will be evermore. Because I will go on. This, this body will go into the dust of the ground. But listen, I will live on because I have been redeemed and saved by the grace of God. I eternally have a home with Christ. And my life was eternal forever. But I had two different places that I could end up. But praise God, by God's grace, he came after me. He sought me out and he saved me and he redeemed me. And he has set me on a solid rock. And he could do that for you. And today, you're sitting in this pew. A lot of it is because of mothers who have loved you and prayed over you and anguished and cried over you and said, please, God, save my children. Call out their name. Go to them, God. Tell them Draw them from their sin. Save them. Redeem them. And in that moment and in that time, in God's timing, he spoke to your heart and you said, I confess you as Lord. And I believe in my heart, God, that you raised yourself from the dead. I repent and I believe the gospel. If today you've never done that before, there's no greater day. Don't put off today what you may not could do tomorrow. Don't put off today what you may not can do tomorrow. 
Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. 